Well, good morning, Mercy Culture. Come on, are any of the men jealous of the women from the Evergreen Marked Women's Conference that happened this last weekend in Fort Worth at our Fort Worth campus? I hear it was amazing. My wife said, get ready for some fiery women this morning. Let's go. Let's get to see everybody's smiling face today. My name is Les, the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco, where we love God, we love people, and we love mercy. And the vision of our church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. You saw a brief video about that. Um, we, what we know to be true is that there's only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. But in Jesus, there are many ways that one can connect with God. And what we mean is, is that there are ways that you build relationship with the Lord, and it's not one size fits all. Come on, a relationship with God is not one size fits all any, any differently than relationship with people is one size fits all. Everybody in this room, however many people in this room, there's probably that many different ways that people build relationships with others. And it's the same way that we build relationship with the Father. And we want to help you to discover, thank you, Kellen, we want to help you to discover how you best connect with the Lord, how you build a lasting and meaningful and daily connection with the Lord, because we know this to be true. We know that if you can hear the voice of the Lord and do what he said to do, that you can't fail. If we can hear God's voice, if you can build a daily relationship with the Father that there's nothing that you can't do. But so many Christians live life Sunday to Sunday. They live life connecting with God and having an encounter with God only at church on Sunday, and then they try to get through the rest of the week. And they say, well, if I can just make it to next Sunday. I grew up in church, and we used to have preachers say all the time, we can just make it to next Sunday. And say, come on, get to Wednesday night. You got to get to Wednesday night service and get that power of the Holy Spirit, that injection of the Lord. And our goal was to get people to come to church. Come on. It was come to church, come to church, come to church. And that's where you encounter the Lord. How many are thankful for corporate encounters like we just had? I'm grateful for it. There's a place for it. The Bible says, do not... Do not abandon the assembling together of the brethren, especially as the day of the Lord draweth nigh, or especially as we come to the end of the age. So there's a place for corporate encounters, but there's a depth in daily encounters that you can't, you can't get to with just coming together corporately. Look at your spouse if you're married. Just look at your spouse. How many remember that first date? Nikki and I have a funny and interesting story. We were great friends for like a year and a half. She had a boyfriend, had, she had a boyfriend. And we were just friends and I didn't even, I, I didn't even consider her because she was dating somebody else. I think at some point I had a girlfriend or, or two in those, in those, in that period of time. And, uh, and so we didn't even consider each other. And then it was just this one day and I knew this is the woman for me. I'm going to marry this girl. And uh, we just grew together as friends over the years, over the year and a half or two years. And we went out on one date. We went to Teddy Bear Park in Highland Park, right outside of Dallas. Y'all know Highland Park, University Park? It's in Dallas. None of y'all are rich enough to know it. <laughs> Neither were we. <laughs> Drove up in my 1999 Ford, what was it? Uh, Geo Storm, right? <laughs> Ford Focus was I don't I thought it was sportier than I don't remember what it was. Drove up to Highland Park, multi-million dollar homes everywhere. We she she packs the she made a picnic. Y'all, it wasn't just sandwiches. The woman threw down. She knew what she was doing. We were eating in that park, and I took one bite of that food. I said, "This is the woman for me." I heard her sing, and I tasted her cooking. And some other things that I knew drew me to her. So I, uh, we, we had that picnic. I said, this is the woman. A month later, we were engaged to be married. And five months later, we were married. And that was 20 years ago in November. Yeah. But her and I built a relationship through courtship. But we built a romance through encounters. 
We courted together and we built a relationship. We were in groups and I, I began to be her friend. But our, the depth of our love came in personal encounters. After we got married, we began to encounter each other in a different way. Can I get an amen from many of the husbands in the room? We began to encounter each other differently. And somebody looks at your wife and say, daily personal encounters. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, we began to encounter each other and we built a romance. And some of us have never left the courtship phase with the father. We've never left the phase of just spending time with the Lord in group settings. And there are things that's appropriate in a group that, that are, are different than what's appropriate in private. And there's a, there's a breaking that happens in a daily personal relationship with God. There's a breaking that happens in a daily encounter with the Lord. There's something, there's a vulnerability that can happen when you begin to encounter God in your own private time. And you're no longer dependent upon the crowd to build a relationship with the Lord. See, a lot of Christians are using a crowd as a buffer between them and God. Because the crowd helps us to make us, helps make us feel better. But when we get into that daily encounter, he sees everything. Uh, we're exposed before him. There's nothing that stands between us and him. Let me tell you something. You're already exposed. Whether you're having a daily encounter or you're not, he already knows everything. You might as well go all the way in and begin to develop a romance with the Lord. We want to help you to do that. Just text the word connect to 59090 and begin that process. Uh, the food bank, we've got, a, we've got a food bank event coming up this Saturday, May the 13th. We're so excited. We feed um, hundreds of people every Saturday, give away thousands of pounds of food, not every Saturday, once a month for now. And, um, and that's the next one is this Saturday, the 13th. If you can help, if you can be assistance, please uh, go on our social media and get all the details of that. Or, Yeah, it's not up there. So yeah, 10 a.m. And, and come out and be a part of that. If you know somebody that needs food, let them know about that. And then this coming Sunday, a week from today, is Mother's Day. Come on, Mother's Day's coming up, and we love our moms, and we want to celebrate you in a special way this Sunday. We've got a special guest coming. Pastor Kaylee Morrow will be preaching this Sunday. So excited. We're so excited about that. Can't wait. If you'd like my notes, just text the word notes to 59090. Everything that I have in front of me will be sent to you. Let's begin in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. This is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, say at all, but rather she had grown worse. And after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Another version of this story in Luke says, for she said to herself, if I could just touch his garments. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, immediately. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I come to talk to you this morning about a presence-driven life. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes today. Father, we thank you for your glorious presence that is in this room today. God, we give you glory. We thank you that you are already here. We thank you that you, have, you are dwelling in this tent this morning. And God, we give you honor and glory and praise. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take the words of my lips and carry it on your anointing. 
Father, I pray that every word would proceed from your heart, God. And anything that comes from my flesh, I pray that it would fall to the wayside and die. But that that comes from your spirit, let it take root in our hearts and lives. Let it initiate change within us. Father, we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We thank you, God, that no one came to hear me. We all came to hear your voice. So, Father, I just lay upon the altar performance, comparison, and the need to impress. We are yielded to you today. In Jesus' name we say. Somebody said amen. 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 The word of the Lord over our church in the year 2023 is the word dunamis. The power to strengthen and fortify. That is the prophetic word of the year over this house, which means if you are submitted to this house, that that is the prophetic word of the year over your house. How many of you have been stewarding that word over your house? The power to strengthen and fortify. When, when we begin to pray that, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. Sometimes in this year, I felt like we've been standing on shaky ground a little bit. And the Lord said, well, I'm revealing the areas of your foundation that are weak. How do you know what needs to be strengthened and fortified if you don't know what areas are weak? I guess nobody else has felt that. There we go. There's the laughter. We can feel our house beginning to settle. And you say, ah, this door isn't shutting quite right. And there's a little crack by the window over here. And there are signs that the, of areas that our foundation needs to be strengthened. And we do that through the receiving of the dunamis power of the Lord. This is the year that dunamis goes from on us to in us. And that it goes from in us to through us. We will not just be hoarders of the power of God, but we will be, we will operate in the power of God. I mean, we won't just hold on to his power for ourselves, but we recognize that the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit is not just for us, but it is for us to pour out and give to others. Dunamis means the power to strengthen and fortify. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 3. The Bible says that they were gathered together in an upper room and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. We have been contending for the miraculous in, in this house. We've been believing God that his dunamis power would flow through us and that people would be healed and delivered and set free. And we've seen miraculous things happen. Last week in the first service, we saw 10 people miraculously healed of sickness. And in second service, we saw 19 people healed of their sickness. And then throughout the week, we saw many other people healed of their sicknesses. People that saw the Instagram post and saw the social media and listened to the podcast are sending us messages and telling us they were healed in their car, in their home, or at their job. We have seen the miraculous happen, and we are contending for even more. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you, if you're sick in your mind, your body, or your spirit this morning in any way, just to lift your hand. Just lift your hand if you have any sickness in your body, any sickness at all. I'm not going to call you out. I want you to just focus in with me. And believe God that God can and will heal you today. We're going to have an opportunity at the end of service for healing. But just begin to, to pray in your spirit. Partner your faith with the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. That even without praying for you, that in this service, God can heal you. Amen? So we're talking this morning about living a presence-driven life. One of our unique characteristics at Mercy Culture is that we are a presence-driven church. And these unique characteristics you've heard us talk about, this is when we were praying about launching Mercy Culture. If you don't know, Mercy Culture Waco is a location of Mercy Culture Church that was started. You can leave that up, that unique characteristics up. That was started in Fort Worth. And Mercy Culture was planted three years ago in the city of Fort Worth. And before they went into plant, the elders came together and began to pray and ask the Lord, why mercy culture in this city? There are great churches. Why have you called us to plant mercy culture? And they asked God, and God gave five unique characteristics, reasons why God called mercy culture to be birthed. And then we were in a time of prayer here in Waco as we were praying and seeking the Lord and, and uh, 
uh, praying and doing intercessory prayer throughout the city before we launched Mercy Culture Waco. There was a time we were down by the river praying in a park, and I think it was Lurlin who I asked to just begin to pray the unique characteristics over the city. And as she was praying, I asked the Lord, Lord, are there different reasons why you've called us to be in Waco? Do you have different unique characteristics for this city? And as she was praying, he began to show me all of the, the, these unique characteristics and why it was needed in the city of Waco. And I felt the Lord say, when I spoke three years ago in Fort Worth, did you not think I knew the cities that were coming later? God is smarter than us. Thank you, Jesus. He is so much smarter than us, and he sees the end from the beginning. So these unique characteristics are for this house as well as in Fort Worth. It's for all of mercy culture. And it says this, we're not built around any person or ministry. We are built around the presence of God. We consistently ask God for his mind and his heart for his house. Now listen, we are not the only presence-driven church. We need to be humble. We began to think that we're the only place and the only people and the only folks that are really after God. That's not a church. That's a cult. That's a, that's, that's a problem if you start to think that. We are not the only presence-driven church. I am thankful that there are many presence-driven churches all around the nation and even right here in our city. I'm grateful that there are houses of worship that are not built around a person or a ministry, but driven by the presence of God. See, the church and his people need to learn how to be in the presence of God. We have to learn how to rest in his presence. Ah, for so many, church has become about us. All across the country, churches have reorganized and changed everything that we do in order to not draw God's presence, but to draw people. And I've been in that. I've been right smack dab in the middle of it, wrapped up in that culture. I'm going to tell a story a little bit later in my message about this, but I've been in the middle of that church planning culture where I've been to the conferences, I've read the books, I've gone to the online teachings, I've been at the round tables, and I've learned how to draw people. And we've built churches around us instead of around the Lord. People ask this question a lot. Well, what's mercy culture about? Is it a church for the lost is it a church for the saved? Is it a missional church or is it a discipleship church? And our answer is quite simple. It's not a church for either one of those things. It's a church for the Lord. Our job is to create an atmosphere to minister unto the Lord. But we birth ministries that are about us. We sing songs about us. Everything is orchestrated in order to make people feel good and come to church. I've read books and been to the conferences where they teach you what colors to paint the walls to initiate a certain feeling in people, what temperature the room needs to be. Some of y'all are shaking your head because you know, and others you're like, no, that can't be real. It's real. It's real. It's not just real. It's prevalent in the church community around the nation, what the temperature needs to be, how far apart the seats need to be, how many parking lot, how many parking spaces to people, and how much the room needs to be, and all of these things to placate people. I love excellence, and I'm not preaching against excellence. Excellence is one of the values here at Mercy Culture. We believe in doing the best with what we have. And I believe in creating an excellent environment, and I believe that it ministers to the heart of the Father. But when we take our focus off of what the Lord wants, and we put it on what you want, we stop being a church, and we become a show. The show must go on. We begin performing for you because church has become, how do we pack more people into the building and how many people are there? But if Jesus doesn't come into the room, it's not a church. 
If Jesus doesn't come into the room, it's not a small group. If Jesus doesn't come into the room, who cares about worship rehearsal or leadership small group or spiritual leadership school or whatever? Who cares if Jesus doesn't come into the room? And that must be the foundation. It must be the goal of everything that we do, that Jesus comes into the room. If he came, it's good. If he didn't, it's bad. It's that simple. If Jesus steps in the room, we've succeeded. And if he doesn't, it's bad because a room can be filled with people and empty of God. And a room can have few people but be filled with God. Lord, let us never be a people that stop being driven by pursuit of your presence and began to be driven by pursuit of your people. So our entire lives must be built around ministering unto the Lord. Our entire lives, our existence, we were created for relationship with God. We were created not to visit God once a week. We were created not to look at God from afar. We were created to walk with him in the cool of the day. Jesus created Adam and Eve, and they walked together. They spoke together. It's the reason he formed us from the dust of the earth, to be in relationship with us. But you can't have the presence of God without the word of God. God's presence cannot be separated from his word. I preached a message last week on apologetics, and I said the greatest defense of the Bible is an encounter with its author. You cannot, if you want to solidify your belief in the Word of God, begin to build a relationship with the author of the Word of God. But you can't just pursue His presence and abandon His Word. It doesn't work like that. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no separating the Word from the presence of the Lord. Word without His presence is death, and presence without His Word is impossible. See, there's a lot of people that think they're pursuing the presence of the Lord who have abandoned the Word of the Lord. And they're not pursuing God's presence. They're pursuing a feeling in their flesh. And that's why people will navigate and, and be, be drawn to so many different things to feel something within themselves. That's why that they will sprinkle things in with their worship of Jesus. And so they feel something off in their room and in their home. And instead of bringing out the word of God and standing upon his word, they'll light some sage. They'll, they'll say some declarations. They'll begin to manifest some things into the environment. Why? Because they're pursuing a presence and confusing it for being the presence. Why? Because people have tried to separate the word from the presence of the Lord. Because we think that God's presence makes us feel good all the time. But sometimes, many times, most of the time, the presence of the Lord brings conviction to your life. When I talk to leaders and say, how are your daily encounters? And they tell me, oh, good, great, everything's going great. My next question, almost inevitably, is what's the Lord convicting you about right now? Oh, well, Lord, Lord and I are just great and everything's just wonderful. Listen, you can't stand in the reflection of holiness and not begin to see some flesh. And if you haven't been convicted about anything in a while, it's probably because you're pursuing a feeling instead of the person. You're pursuing a feeling instead of the presence of the Lord. You've tried to, you've tried to separate God's presence from his word. You see, there are two types of the word of God. There's the rhema word and the logos word. These are Greek words. Rhema means the spoken word of God and presence is the, or logos is the written word of God. You see, there's a reason why sometimes you can read the same scripture over and over and over again, and one day you'll read that scripture, and it comes alive in you. 
And it begins to be birthed in your spirit. It comes alive within you. Why? Because the breath of the Father breathes upon the word. And that logos word becomes a rhema word to you. There are times that you can read the same chapter of the same book of the Bible 10 or 15 times. And it has 10 or 15 different meanings. Why? Because the word of the Lord is living it is alive. He breathes upon it and takes that written word, forms it into a rhema word in our lives. But when we try to separate God's word from his presence, we get the benefits of neither. John chapter 6 verse 63, it says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it said, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, and not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter alone will kill, but the letter, when the Spirit of the Lord breathes upon the Word of God, it brings life into your spirit. I know most of us, if you've been around in the Bible Belt any time at all, somebody's probably tried to weaponize the word of God against you. Use the word without his spirit to bring condemnation, to bring guilt, to bring shame, to injure you or to hurt you. But when the word and the spirit come together, it brings life. So what do I mean when we talk about the presence of the Lord? The presence of God is simply the spirit of Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, The spirit of whom who raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We go back again to Acts chapter 2, verse 3. This is that dunamis word of the Lord says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. It's the spirit of Jesus that God gave to us in the upper room, his Holy Spirit, his presence. So what happens in the presence of God? Well, we know that Jesus was the most presence-driven person to ever live. Everything that Jesus did was driven by the presence of God. He even said, I don't say anything unless my father says it. I don't do anything unless I see my father in heaven do it. Everything he did was driven by the presence of the Lord. There's no dunamis power without presence. But I've got good news. There is no presence without dunamis power. You can't pursue the dunamis power of the Lord without pursuing the presence of God. But when his presence shows up, his power is always there. We've got a lot of powerless churches because we have a lot of presenceless churches. A lot of places that read a lot of Bible. Even theologically sound in almost every area, but there's no pursuit of his presence because his presence always takes us to unpredictable, uneasy, and messy places. People ask us, how do you get away with worshiping so long at Mercy Culture? <laughs> how do you get away with it? I had a young man ask me this just recently. What do y'all do? How, do? how do you do it? I, I've watched your, your social media accounts and sometimes seconds, it'll be three o'clock in the afternoon. And people are just laid out. What, how do you get away with that? I said, what do you mean, how do I get away with it? He said, well, what, what, do people leave? What about when people leave? I said, I don't know. There's a part two. I don't care. And I know we're laughing and I'm laughing. It's funny. But that didn't come easy. Come on, not caring is not easy to do. It's not that I don't care because I don't love people. See, no, it's quite the opposite. You see, my love and desire to see people encounter God's presence and to see people come into the presence of the Lord and be saved and healed and delivered for much of my ministry drove me to try to please people. Because I was confusing my feelings for other people for my love for other people. I had confused my empathy for compassion. 
You see, empathy looks at a snapshot in time and tries to appease the moment, but compassion looks at the eternity of a person and tries to lead them into truth. And for much of my ministry, I was feeding my own pride and leaning into empathy and not compassion and trying to please people. And so we would adjust services and I would go, oh, well, what are people going to think? And I better not say that. And we better end that worship service and we better do this. And what happened was demon spirits became very comfortable in the services that I was leading. Sickness and disease and infirmity didn't have a problem in the services that I was leading. But the more we began to say, I don't care what they think, Jesus. I only care what you think. And I don't care if I look up from this carpet and there's not another soul in the room except for you. Jesus, we're going to pursue you. Jesus, we're going to go all in with you. Jesus, we don't care what they think. We only care what you think. The more that happens, the more uncomfortable religious spirits feel. The more we do that, the more uncomfortable the spirits of sickness and infirmity feel. The more we do that, the more difficult it is for people to remain sick in our services. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I said it before. You can't pursue dunamis without his presence, but the presence never shows up without his power. You see, there are things that accompany the power, and or there are things that accompany the presence of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from sickness. Freedom from infirmity. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from depression. Freedom from disease. Freedom from divorce. There is freedom from everything in your life where the Spirit of the Lord is. When Jesus showed up in the room, when Jesus showed up in your town, the sick got healed. The mentally sick, the spiritually sick, the physically sick. So you got to ask yourself a question. Why is nobody being healed in my life, in my home, in my church? Why do we read in the word of God that everywhere, not some of the time, all of the time Jesus showed up, people got healed? Why are people not being healed where I go? Maybe I'm not walking with Jesus in the way that I thought I was. Ah, we know a lot about church, but do we know Jesus? We know a lot about ministry, but do we know Jesus? Some of us even know a lot about the Bible, but do we know Jesus? Do we walk with Jesus? Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus is telling his disciples what ministry looks like. They said, what are we supposed to do? He was sending them out to minister. And this is what he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. When the presence of Jesus shows up, these are the things that happen. The, the sick are healed. That means that their physical illnesses are healed. And that means that infirmities, sickness that has attached itself to you, that chronic illness is broken off of people and they are healed and set free. It means that blinded eyes are opened and deaf ears are opened and people come up out of wheelchairs and and cancer dries up and falls off of people's body and people are healed. Just last week, we're operating in this and believing God and stepping out in faith for people to receive healing in their bodies. And I look down and my baby girl, my 10-year-old daughter, is laying on the carpet right here. And honestly, I'll tell you, full transparency, I had no idea why. And you know, with 10-year-olds, sometimes it's a move of God and sometimes they're just taking a nap. You know, let's be honest. And I don't know, and I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, well, bless God. Let her be blessed. And she just laid out, and then she's just setting up like she's laying down like this, kind of looking around. I'm like, okay, Presley, what's going on? And then after service, she's like, oh, Dad, Jesus healed my eye. I said, what? <laughs> Presley's eye will cross. It will go. She calls it zooming out. One eye will point in the other direction. She has a weak muscle and we've taken her to the doctors and she had corrective lenses and that didn't work and the doctor said you need to have an operation and I've told my wife we got to get her in we got to get her in we got to get that operation (laughs) 
And she came down to the altar and she just said, Jesus, would you heal me? And he did. And I said, baby, has your eye zoomed off anymore? And she goes, no. she said, no, Jesus healed my eye. <laughs> Later that afternoon, I said, press, how's your eye? And she was looking down at something and she went, it's healed. I told you that earlier. <laughs> then the next day, Monday afternoon, Monday afternoon, I said, baby, how's your eye? She goes, dad, I thought I told you yesterday, Jesus healed my eye. It's the faith of a child. She said, you said it. I believe it. It's done. Wow. He doesn't just want to heal our physical body. He wants to heal our minds and our spirits as well. There's a weakness and a feebleness of mind and body that God wants to heal. Some of you say, I don't even have faith to stand up and raise my hand when you say if I'm sick. I know there are people in this room sick in your body that earlier you didn't even have the faith to lift your hand. I am not here to judge you or to condemn you, but God can heal your weakness and feebleness of spirit this morning. He wants to heal our mental and spiritual lives. He wants to give us the supernatural power to forgive. Ah. He wants to heal our unforgiveness today. There are people who are holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And even as I'm saying this, your flesh is agitated. I can feel it in the room. Some of you are in your spirit, in your mind, saying this, this punk preacher is up there talking about forgiveness. He has no idea what I've been through. He has no idea what I'm holding on to. If he knew, he wouldn't tell me to forgive. Oh, but Jesus, Jesus can give you the power to forgive. He can heal your unforgiveness today. Jesus has come to raise the dead. He has come to raise the physically dead. I believe that the dead will be raised. Not only that they will be, but that they have been, and they will continue to be raised. Jesus can raise the dead, but he can also raise the spiritually dead. He can raise dead hopes, and he can raise dead dreams. And he can breathe life into dead marriages. He can breathe life into dead families and dead relationships and dead prophetic words over your life that you have said, these things have died, I have buried them, I give up on them. Jesus wants to raise some dead things back to life this morning. He wants to cleanse the leper. This jumped out to me when I was reading this just a few weeks ago. I began to read this scripture over and over and over again and I thought, Lord, told the Lord, Lord, why are you talking about cleanse the lepers? Why does leprosy play such a role in the word of God? You knew that it would be a, a, basically an extinct disease. You knew that leprosy would be played out at a certain point. Why didn't you talk about something else, something that would be with us? And I felt like the Lord began to reveal to me a spiritual leprosy that so many of us walk with. Leprosy is defined as a contagious disease that affects the skin, the mucous membranes, and nerves, causing discoloration and lumps on the skin, and in severe cases, disfigurement and deformities. And leprosy can even lead to death. Leprosy has a few properties. It kills the body. I believe that leprosy is a symptom. A spiritual leprosy is the spirit of the age. Ah, Spirit of the age that we see running rampant in the church and throughout Christianity today. This spiritual leprosy kills the body of Christ. It attacks the body and it begins to kill healthy tissue. It begins to attack the healthy tissue and break it down and deform it and kill it. That's why we have churches that are built for the Lord, that have crosses on the side, that are proclaiming and saying that they stand for the name of Jesus. And then they are proclaiming things that are exactly opposite of his word. Why? Because the body is deformed and disfigured. It's a spiritual leprosy. It's still a human being, but it looks nothing like it was intended to look. 
That's why you can have scriptures painted on one side of the wall and the LGBTQ flag put up on the other side of the wall. Why? Because there's a spiritual leprosy. It's killing our healthy tissue. It is highly contagious. It's one minute you are rooted and planted in the word of God. You are rooted and planted in your church and in your community. And the next minute you're offended with your church and offended with your pastor and offended with God and questioning your faith and doubting the validity of the Bible all from an Instagram post that gave you spiritual leprosy. Had an interaction just this last week with a, an acquaintance that was a dear friend of ours many years ago. And I'd posted a video of people celebrating their ability to abort children until nine months in, in, a, in a state. They were celebrating a law that was passed that gave them the ability to, to abort a child at any time for any reason. They were shouting and jumping and crying and excited about this ability to do it. I posted my disgust and a person began to interact with me and I love this young woman and I was interacting with her and then she said, well, your God is a murderer anyway, so he can have a problem with himself. And I thought, there it is. There's the root of that spiritual leprosy. How can a person's mind become so distorted and so deformed that they think not only it's okay, but it's godly to pass laws allowing people to murder a child in the womb at any time for any reason? Not only do they think it's okay, they rejoice and celebrate when those laws are passed. And if you don't rejoice, you are a hater who hates women. It doesn't make any sense. It's deformed, it's malfigured, it's spiritual leprosy. How can we have people line up in the halls of the state, of the state capital of Texas just this week, lining up hundreds of people protesting, doing everything they can to stop a law being passed that says, hey, doctors, you can't have a surgery on a 15-year-old and remove their healthy breasts or genitals. We're going to make it against the law for a doctor to mutilate children. And people line up and protest against it and call you a hater for trying to protect children. And many of them do it in the name of the Lord. They take scripture and try to back up their evil agenda. Why? It's a spiritual leprosy that has deformed and malfigured the body of Christ. Those that were stricken with leprosy were barred from entering the tabernacle. They were not allowed to enter the church. We began to see this spiritual leprosy spread throughout our nation and around the world in 2020. A leprosy of fear that barred the church and attacked the body and prevented the body of Christ from even entering the church of the tabernacle, spiritual leprosy shut down our buildings and so many pastors and churches went right along with it. Not only did they acquiesce to this spiritual leprosy, they wore it as a badge of honor and celebrated how Christ-like they were by keeping people from the house of the Lord. It's spiritual leprosy. The Bible says that those that were stricken with leprosy had to scream and cry out, unclean, unclean, everywhere that they went. It was a law. You had to scream, unclean. My question for you today is, are you listening for the cry of unclean? When you listen to preachers and when you listen to friends and people that you are looking to as influencers in your life, are you listening for the cry of unclean? Do you hear things like, oh, love is love, and all love is from God? Are you listening for the cry of unclean? Like, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Whatever you feel, what is your truth? Are you listening for the cry of unclean? My body, my choice. Are you listening for the cry of unclean that says the Bible is just written by man, and it isn't meant to be taken literally? I saw just this week. A spiritual influencer in our own city that posted back when I believed what, that the Bible was literally true. You know what I heard in my spirit? Unclean! 
unclean. And finally, Jesus told the disciples to cast out demons. You see, we don't have to be afraid of the spiritually leprous. We don't have to be afraid of the unclean, but we have to be aware and take authority. Being presence-driven means that you do not abide unclean spirits. It means I simply won't abide it. I was reminded of a story Pastor Jasmine told. She's one of our leaders at Mercy Culture and in Fort Worth. Her husband, Connor, is here with us this morning. Dear friends of ours, we love them so deeply. And Pastor Jasmine leads so well, and she was preaching a message she said she had gone to get a massage and she'd gone to this place and she realized that there was some witchcraft symbolism in the room and there was some weird music going on and she could feel that spirit. She could feel in her spirit the cry of the unclean. <laughs> she began to pray. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? She said, hey, I've got a song. Would you mind putting a song on it? Little did the lady know it happened to be her song. So Jasmine is an incredible worship, worship leader, and I was going to, she's an artist, she's many things, but she, she's anointed most of all. And the lady put that song on and she began to like shake and she was like, what is this? This is so different. And the atmosphere in the room started to shift and she began to minister to her and she was telling this story and in a sermon while she was preaching, she could feel the spirit of witchcraft and she stopped and she said, witches bow or leave. What happened? She took authority over the unclean spirit. Jesus wasn't afraid of the unclean. He just simply wouldn't abide them. You see, when Jesus walked around, he didn't have to go looking for demons. They would scream when he walked by. You see, some of you have been saying, why does it seem like everywhere I go, there's a darkness and I can feel this darkness? Well, maybe the spirit that is within you is agitating the spirit that is within the world. And instead of being afraid and running, cast it out. Let the be presence driven. Let your presence cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Don't abide the unclean spirits. So when and where are we to be presence driven? Well, John chapter 5, verse 19, this is Jesus speaking. He says, truly, truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the father doing it. For whatever the father does, the son does also. In John 8, 42, Jesus said again, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. In John 12, 49, Jesus said, for I've not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. In John 14, 31, Jesus said, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You see, God has been spirit-driven even from the foundations of the earth. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and He was with God from the beginning. The Spirit of the Lord, the presence of God hovered over the face of the deep and gathered with His Word to create the very universe that we live in. From the very beginning, He was presence-driven. So simplified, when are you to be driven by the presence of God? Always. Somebody say always. I want to give you a caution this morning. Don't let the pursuit of a presence-driven life paralyze you into inaction. You see, so many of us have stopped because, again, we have separated God's word from his presence. And we say, I just need to feel something before I'll do something. And we've confused his presence with a feeling. We said, I got to feel this. I've got to feel this. There was a season in my life that I was struggling with the, one of the biggest decisions that we would ever make. And I could not hear a clear yes from the Lord. And I even told God, God, I will only do this if you tell me without a shadow of a doubt that you want me to do it. And Pastor Zane, anybody know Pastor Zane? He'll be preaching with us in just a few weeks. I can't wait. Pastor Zane, he has a tendency to do this. I told him last time I saw him, I said, I think that God has a, prof I just want to submit this to you. I believe there's a prophetic anointing on your life. <laughs> Pastor Zane is a prophet of God. And he calls me and he said, Les, I was praying for you. And I feel like the Lord said, if it's not a no, it's a go. 
I said, shut up. <laughs> Sometimes when you, we can, we can confuse being presence-driven with wanting to feel a, feel a certain way. And when I was asking God, when I said, God, I want to have certainty without a shadow of a doubt, what I was really telling the Lord is, I want to be able to make this decision and not use my faith to do it. It's really saying, God, I want you to be so clear that it requires no faith from me to step out. And anything not done in faith, the Bible says, is sin. Don't allow your need for a feeling to paralyze you. Do you have the word on it? If you have a word, then it's yes. What do I mean by a word? There are people who say, well, I don't know if I should serve in the house of the Lord. And I don't know if I should tithe. I'm praying and asking the Lord. And I don't know if I should forgive this person. I'm still holding on. They did a lot to me. I'm praying and asking the Lord. Listen, his word is his word. The word is the word of the Lord. So if you have word on it, you don't have to go and try to hear the Lord. You've already heard him. He wrote it down in the 66 books of the Bible. Stop praying about whether you should serve. You should serve. Stop praying about whether you should tithe. He told you to tithe. Stop praying about whether you should forgive. You should forgive. Jesus said it. Don't allow your pursuit of presence driven to be changed and manipulated and cause you to become paralyzed in inaction. But there are times that we do need to pause and wait. There are times that we need to stop and say, Lord, I'm not moving until you speak to me. And we've got to pause and wait. There are seasons for that. We simplified. We just need to hear and obey the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, we pray prayers like, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. There's a reason we pray that every single week. There's a reason I pray that every single day. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10 said it this way. Then the Lord came and stood there calling us before Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel finally answered to him, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. But we have a lot of lazy, undisciplined Christians Christians who ask God one time in passing and then give up. But the Bible says we must keep on asking and keep on pressing and keep on praying. There are things that I have stewarded and prayed for in my life for 20 years that I have yet to see the fulfillment of. But we keep on pressing and we keep on asking and we keep on praying. We invite him into our questions and we ask him for guidance. We invite him and we ask him to guide us. There was a service just a few weeks ago. Worship team, you guys can come up. There was a service just a few weeks ago. And I was sitting, I was down here. I think I was actually kneeling before the Lord. And I had the same familiar feeling that I had had in the past. And it was this feeling in worship of exhaustion. I was tired. Not just physically tired, but there was a spiritual exhaustion I felt drained. I was like, Lord, what is this feeling? It's something that I remember feeling as a young man early in ministry. See, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and we'd get up, and we'd shout, and we'd scream, and we'd yell, and we'd declare, and we'd bind the devil. We had songs about it. There's a one song that we sang called I Want It All Back. The whole song was singing to the devil. It's amazing when I look back on it. And it's this rocking song that feels good. I played it for the kids one day. My daughter goes, Dad, is this a church? It was from my church, from our church years ago. That I said, yeah, this is the church we used to go to. She goes, um, why are they singing to the devil? Shouldn't they be singing to Jesus? But I had that feeling, not, not that one particularly, but I had this feeling of that sort of spiritual exhaustion and draining. And I was saying, Lord, what, what's happening? And we were singing beautiful, important, needed songs, declaring things over the house that are amazing. We, I knew it was the heart of the Father. So I was like, God, what, what's happened? And heard the Lord say, we haven't, you haven't worshipped me yet. We just began declaring things. We hadn't stopped 
and worshiped him. You see, sometimes we get into driving the presence instead of being driven by the presence. We went to our spiritual leadership school in Fort Worth. We're launching SLS right here in Waco, by the way, in the fall. Yeah. If you want more information, let us know. And I was teaching that class and I was telling this story. I was taking them through a daily encounter. I said, let's just begin to worship the Lord and tell him how holy he was. We spent a good 40, 45 minutes just extolling the holiness of God. And I felt the Lord come into the room. When he came into the room, I was weeping and crying out before him. Then his presence took me by the hand and invited me into intercession with him. He invited us into that place of intercession. And out of my spirit, began to lead the students into prayer. And we prayed for political movements and we prayed for our city and we prayed for our church and we began to declare this thing and that thing and the other. And instead of that feeling of spiritual exhaustion, we felt strength, why? Because we weren't driving the presence. We were waiting on him. He was driving us. Take us back to our story in Matthew chapter 5. This woman with the issue of blood. There's so much in this scripture. So that she had been through so much at the hands of physicians. Doctors had done everything that they knew to do for this woman. This is 2,000 years ago. You can imagine the types of experimental treatments that they tried on her. It's 2023. They're still trying experimental treatments on us. She was going through so much at the hands of the physicians. And the Bible says that she received no help. She got no better. In fact, her condition only worsened. And she was desperate. She was so desperate. She was driven to the presence of Jesus. She said, if I could just touch him, Luke, it says that she spoke to herself. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. So she goes and she touches his hem and Jesus says, who touched me? I love this story. His disciples, they were kind of snarky, weren't they, sometimes? His disciples were like, you're asking who touched you? Look around, bro. There's thousands of people pressing you on all sides. What do you mean, who touched you? A lot of people touched you, okay? And Jesus said, ah, but I perceive power has been released from me. See, it wasn't that Jesus had a certain level of power and she touched them and he had less of it. No, because the Bible tells us in John 3 that he gives his spirit without measure. There is no end to his spirit. No, it was that Jesus was so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he knew when someone's faith had placed a demand on his spirit. I want to be that in tune with the spirit and the presence of God. She pressed in, she touched, she wouldn't stop until she could just reach the Savior. She could just touch the hem of his garment. And she, she said, oh, if I could just touch him, I know that his presence will manifest within me. I saw in my spirit that there were some of us that are resisting the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I've been there. In my own life, there was a season. I was so hurt 
in ministry. I've been so offended and I was holding on to so much unforgiveness. I had abandoned my relationship with the Lord. Nikki and I were at a church. Somebody invited us, my brother. We were at this church and we were sitting there. I was like, y'all, I knew, I, I knew church. I grew up in it. I'd been in ministry. I knew all of the stuff. I was disinterested. It's running from God's presence. So closed off to the manifestation of the glory of God. And I was kind of arms crossed. This preacher preached a message. I have no idea what he preached. It's one of the reasons I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Like, Les, don't stress too much over this message. Nobody's going to remember what you preach anyways. They're only going to remember the presence of the Lord. So I was like, Lord. No, I wasn't praying to God, but I, 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 was, I have no idea what he preached. And he gets up to give the altar call, and the presence of the Lord fills the room. And it's as if God came and grabbed me and pulled me to the altar. When I tell you I didn't want to go, I did not want to go. And I'm a pretty strong personality. <laughs> and he just, not as strong as the Lord, pulled me to the altar. The pastor came over. I don't know what he said, but he walks over and he prays for me. And I fell out under the power of God. Somebody says, well, I don't believe in being slain in the spirit. Cool. I don't know what to tell you, bro. It happened to me. Fell out under the power of God. And Nikki was with me and we both, whoop, under the power. I could feel my flesh wanting to get back up. <laughs> and I had such a hard time getting back up. And I had this decision I could make in that moment. And I knew this is one of those decisions it's going to affect the rest of your life. You see, we think that we can just choose to follow Jesus whenever we want to. The Bible says that nobody comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. You may not get drawn next week. You better respond while He's drawing you. I was fighting, and I knew this may be it. This may be my last opportunity to yield to him. I just gave up. I laid in that floor for at least an hour. And every time I tried to get up and, I, and it was hard, I just lay back down. Listen, if you have a hard time getting back up, stay down. If you feel tears welling up in your eyes, cry. If you feel the power of the Holy Spirit respond, don't fight the move of God. And I was delivered in an instant, in a moment. Now there's still stuff the Lord had to deal with and there's still stuff that he is dealing with, but that spirit that had arrested me, changed the trajectory of my life, was broken off of me in a moment. yielding to his presence. Everybody close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. I was praying for this service. I heard the Lord say that as we seek his holiness, as we establish his holiness, that Jesus would walk the aisles of this tent this morning and he was going to heal the sick. He was going to heal the spiritually sick, the mentally sick, the physically sick. He was going to heal you today. Just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. Come on, begin to tell him how holy he is. Come on, just lift your voices and tell him how holy he is.
on, if you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. If you want to stand to your feet, stand to your feet. If you need to kneel, kneel. If you come to the altar, come to the altar. But don't resist the move of the Holy Spirit. Come on, press in and touch the hem of his garment this morning. Just say holy, 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 holy. Tell him he's holy. Tell him he's worthy. Come on, even if you're skeptical, there's healing raining down in the room today. He wants to heal your body. He wants to strengthen your spirit. He wants to strengthen you today. looking around just listen just listen just listen I felt the Lord say some of you are holding on to infirmity with a white knuckle grip hmm. because you like the attention that it gives to you Jesus wants to fill that hole that your sickness has been filling When Jesus healed the woman with the issue of well, but with the issue of blood, he didn't say, be healed and leave me alone. No, he healed her and he filled her with the precious Holy Spirit. He made her well, not just in her body, but every place of lack he fulfilled. He wants to fill that hole today sickness has been feeling. Some of you have had infirmity for so long, you don't know who you are without it. Some of you have worn the, the badge of mental illness for so long that you don't know who you are without it. He wants to fill it today, Jesus. Come on, if that's you, just release, open up your hands. Release it and give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Heal the sick today. Heal those that are sick in their minds and sick in their bodies and sick in their spirits. Oh, yeah, my 